Welcome to the Capital Beach, the podcast from the American Shoreline Podcast Network that deals with coastal federal policy. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm the Executive Director of American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, ASBPA, and I'm joined today by three brilliant scientists, not actually policymakers, but scientists who are doing and coordinating some of the science that influences federal policy, and I'm really excited to have them. They're, they're folks that I've worked with for a long time. And, Think, uh, think all our listeners will should get to know. So thank you, ladies, for being here. I'll introduce you in a second. I, I'm also really excited because we are in a very cool recording location. Uh, one of our panelists today, or one of our guests today, is Hillary Stockton with the U.S. Geological Survey, which is a, an agency within the Department of Interior, and we have the uh, distinct honor of, of broadcasting in from what used to be the Department of Interior radio station, radio broadcast station. It was the first radio broadcast station in a federal building, uh, built in 1938. So it's a cool sort of historic location to be doing a podcast from, so excited to be here. Unfortunately, it has been turned into a conference room now, so there may be some background noise. It doesn't have that great radio room acoustics anymore, but it is a historic uh, location. So very cool to be doing it here, overlooking the U.S. Capitol and the Washington Monument. So I uh, wanted to, uh, to welcome our, our esteemed panelists today, or speakers today. We've got uh, Nicole Elko from American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, uh, Hillary Stockton, as I mentioned, from U.S. Geological Survey, and Julie Rosati with the Army Corps of Engineers. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you for having us. Doing a real quick uh, shout out to our sponsors uh, for this episode, and once again, it is it is ASBPA. We are sponsoring this episode and encouraging folks to come to our conference, the National Coastal Conference, October 22nd through 25th in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It is still there. Hurricane Dorian stayed far enough offshore that our conference will be uh, unaffected, other than you know a lot of good good conversations in the hallway with people who may have been affected. So please come. It's still time to register with early registration ends September 28th. So go ahead and register ASAP and get that discount on early registration. Um, I look forward to seeing you in Myrtle Beach. Okay, um, we're going to dive into our our podcast. Uh, the reason we have these three distinguished scientists here today is because they are the co-executive directors. Is that am I saying that right? Yes. Um, co-executive directors of the U.S. Coastal Research Program, or as I, I've now heard it referred to, USERC, because we like to mm -hmm. we like to turn acronyms into uh, words. So the U.S. Coastal Research Program. So um, you, you know whoever wants to jump in, want it, someone want want you give us a quick overview of what the U.S. Coastal Research Program is. We're looking at you, Julie. I guess you're <laughs> on first. All right. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Julie Rosati with the Army Corps of Engineers. I work for the Engineer Research and Development Center, which is the research arm of the Corps. And I work for a laboratory called the Coastal and Hydraulics Laboratory. And the Corps has a fundamental interest in the USCRP because of the fact that we want to grow our coastal science and research in the nation. Um, we want to do this for several reasons. One is that we see a value in having uh, agencies, uh, academics, and stakeholders work with us on different 
types of infrastructure that we have in the core, such as our field research facility at Duck, North Carolina, as well as our laboratory facilities and other um, activities that we have going on. So to me, the U.S. Um, Coastal Research Program has uh, several elements. The first, foundationally, is to build a community of practice between stakeholders, academics, and the federal agencies. And through that, to build that base level research funding to academics so that we can grow the nation's coastal research expertise and um, disseminate that more clearly and regularly to stakeholders on the coast. Great. Well, Hillary, why don't we turn to you and tell us a little bit about yourself, what your role is, and then what does the USCRP mean to you? Well, I am a technically research oceanographer at the USGS, but I work in the Coastal Marine Hazards and Resources Program, developing and leading a smaller program that addresses coastal change hazards. And so our goal there is to look across the entire USGS portfolio at the science that can be targeted towards answering societal needs along the coast. And I think that's very much what USCRP is, but at a much larger scale. One of the biggest values I think of USCRP is being able to coordinate across different federal agencies who have very unique, different but complementary roles in working along the coastline, whether it's research, engineering, stewardship, or even development. And this way we're able to better define how we can address societal needs using science and basic research. Great. And then finally, Nicole. Thanks, Derek. So my name is Nicole Elko. I'm the science director of the ASBPA. And um, the ASBPA was one of the original groups, along with the Army Corps of Engineers and USGS, that um, took the request or the ask from the coastal community to start building this program, this community of practice, um, about five or six years ago now. And um, the community of practice element, I think, is the most important piece of USCRP, including which brings together those three groups, the agencies, the stakeholders, and the academics. And you can look back to 1999 uh, National Academies report on the, uh, something with the title, something like Meeting Educational Needs in Coastal Engineering. And a lot of our colleagues served on that, had authorship on that report. And it asked for a national program to fund coastal research. It asked for organization of the coastal academics. And, and there have been many workshops and reports and white papers since then asking for that over and over again. So I'm really proud that USCRP is starting to be able to provide that kind of leadership and that kind of community of practice backed by academic research funding to really achieve those goals that our community has been asking for for so many years. Great. So one thing I heard from all of you is that sort of this community of practice. Um, and Nicole distinctly laid out the agencies, the stakeholders, and the academics. We have a couple folks from agencies, but could you share with our audience uh, some of the other agencies that participate in some way in the USCRP? Sure. Um, when in a lot of our meetings as we were developing the purpose and intent of the program, we had involvement from NOAA, the Park Service, Fish and Wildlife, of course, the, the core in USGS sitting here, BOEM, I'm going to forget someone, sure. right? But um, 
we've had probably 10 or 12 different agencies. Uh, some of them, it seems more of a stretch for them to see how they're involved in the coastal community. For example, NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Commission. Yes. Um, however, with power plants on the coastlines, they can see that it is important to them to better understand what's happening along the coastline and direct the research. Certainly, yeah. I mean, after Fukushima, it makes sense that a nuclear agency would want to see how waves and storm surge and tsunamis would affect coastal power plants. Um, and I, I, we heard from, so one of the reasons we're doing this podcast today is there was a, a leadership meeting earlier today of the various federal agencies participating in the coastal research program. Someone from uh, BOEM, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, mentioned that, you know, it might not necessarily seem logical, right? They manage resources three miles off the coast. So I mean, almost by definition, they are off the coast. But the impact of what's happening on the coast strongly determines how their resources get used. And so the, the connection is very real. It's sort of interesting to see, at least in my mind, how various, because the coast is so interdisciplinary, there's so many different agencies that touch some, some aspect of the coast. And I think this hurricane that just came through provides a really great example of that. So Hurricane Dorian, which we'll see really change the way the coast look in North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina. And the strong waves and surge move a whole lot of sand off of the beaches or the beach that we're used to sitting on and, and hanging out. And the core has direct responsibility for protecting or rebuilding beaches and ASBPA working with the locals who use those beaches and respect those beaches. But Bowen, right, they're the, the sediment that we all see disappear and wonder where it's going to come from. So you mentioned Hurricane Dorian and that actually triggers one of the questions I wanted to dig into was um, Dune X. Uh, so Dune X, as I understand it, and I'll let you give a bit more, is was sort of a collaborative, essentially built to be a collaborative experiment. Well, I don't know, will you explain Dune X and, and sort of why why Hurricane Dorian might have been the first time that we really got to sort of see some of this work in action? Okay. So in 2014, the, um, the beginnings of the U.S. Coastal Research Program were um, codified, if you will, in what we now call the Nearshore Reports. It was a publication in Shore and Beach, and that report laid out the future of nearshore processes research. And in that report, there were three broad topic areas that we think the coastal community, and there was broad authorship of that report as well, that the coastal community thought would be important to us over the next decade. And those were long-term coastal evolution, extreme events, and human and ecosystem health. So those topics have driven a lot of the work that the U.S. Coastal Research Program has done including some workshops that have occurred um, with agencies and academics to identify areas where they are doing research on these topic areas and where they may collaborate with one another. So at one of these research, at one of these workshops, there was a breakout group talking about extreme events. And that's when the during near short experiment do next concept was realized uh, as we all know here, uh, federal agencies love their acronyms, and those folks just couldn't resist calling, coming up with an acronym quickly. Um, had we had more time to come up with an acronym for this large-scale multi-agency field experiment, we would not have called it DUNET, because it's not really all about dunes. Now, there are a lot of beautiful dunes along the Outer Banks, which, of course, greatly uh, affect and influence the way that 
coastal processes happen. So dunes, of course, are a part of it, but it's not all about dunes. It's really about ex um, collecting experiments during the storm. We have lots and lots of field observations over decades of good weather these processes, but not so much during the extreme events. So that's what the focus of this experiment is. It's to instrument a large stretch of the Outer Banks, um, involve different agencies, involve uh, many academics, as well as stakeholders, and then wait for a storm to bring us some good data. And so we had Hurricane Dorian, and, and folks were putting out instruments and collecting data throughout that process. Have, have there been any results from that, or what was, sort of, what was the process when you saw Hurricane Dorian working its way up the coast? Well, there are already teams, some teams working um, on, along the coast of North Carolina preparing for the experiment. So they were already thinking about the instrumentation that they could put in the locations where they're going to work. There are also a lot of federal agencies who are tasked with responding to storms and extreme events. So there are several uh, email groups or rapid response groups that start to organize as the storm is making landfall. There are federal agencies who have response teams that start coordinating and planning. So DUNEX, the experiment, was able to take advantage of some of those existing relationships. And then those relationships were able to really benefit from the fact that researchers were there ready to go out and, and sample what was happening during the storm. And then the, the venue, the area, is right where the field research facility of the Army Corps has been since the 70s. Uh, so we have had a long-term uh, record of uh, coastal processes, beach change, uh, sediment transport in the region. So the storm measurements um, that are ongoing now, as Hillary just described, uh, will complement that long-term record as well. And to add to that, you're speaking about long-term, it makes me think about another one of the major goals of the student's experiment was to study and understand recovery after large storm events because that's something that we don't understand as well and it's really important in trying to determine the lasting impact that storms have and how it fits into the broader framework of longer term processes such as changes in sea level. Really fascinating. So you've had this long-standing data set, long-standing information because the field research facility in Duck, North Carolina has been collecting all this information. But this collaborative experiment allowed multiple users from different federal agencies, from academia, to sort of come take advantage of the equipment and the, the, the machines. I don't think you call them machines, but instruments, and respond rapidly as the storm comes, and then also also see what happens as the storm leaves and looking back how the sand moves, how dunes move. It's really fascinating. What do you guys hope is the result of Dunex? Where where does this where does this change policy or procedure or help inform decision makers? Why why are we doing this? One of the things that I think from a stakeholder perspective, um, do next will do and we already see it happening is it will it will build a community of practice in a way that almost nothing else can right when you know it's like sending your your team from your office on an outward bound excursion right it, that that sense of being out in the field with others um, we heard someone in our meeting today talk about digging trenches on the beach with some colleagues that were in the room there 20 or 30 years ago and those are the lasting 
relationships. You know, people people got married as a result of these past field experiments. We used to have them pretty regularly back in the 90s. So this experiment will provide us with great data, right? It's gonna it's going to provide data for many masters and PhD theses mm -hmm. in, over the next decade or more. Mm -hmm. And it's going to help us understand processes and improve our models and, and help the sandbars move on shore, which our models can't do right now, right? So it's going to provide this fundamental science that we need to better understand our coast. But um, more than that for me is that it's going to build our community in a way that I don't think any other single thing that this program could do will be a social science perspective on our, on our program. So really breaking down silos as well as providing that tremendous, tremendous information. Yeah. And as Hillary mentioned a few minutes ago, um, if we understand beach recovery a little bit better, maybe we'll be able to predict that, hey, we don't need to go back out and rebuild the beach because we know in a year and a half, it'll be back to 90% of what it was before the storm. So that's a real practical example of how results from the recovery part of the Dunex experiment will help us make better decisions. Yeah, that's really interesting because you always you always go out after a storm or you hear people going out after a storm saying, oh, the beach is gone, we need to rebuild it, we need to rebuild it. But I think most folks in the community know that, yeah, that, that slowly builds back up. I mean, some of that sand is not lost for good, so being able to measure and quantify that could be a really fundamental change in, in funding and planning. Right. Another example that is of keen interest in our community is the value of vegetative features and reducing mm -hmm. erosion. You know, could those be a low-cost way of um, stabilizing the coast a little bit better? So that's another example of what might be an outcome of Dunex that will help us manage our coasts better in the future. So we could probably spend the whole podcast talking about Dunex. It's so multidisciplinary with many different partners and agencies and stakeholders participating, but there's a bunch of other stuff that the Coastal Research Program is working on. One that I, I really wanted to hit on, because I think it's probably going to be of interest to many of our listeners, is the funding that you guys provided. You saw in the presentation that you did this morning, Nicole, you said you put out, I think, $6.3 million, either put out or obligated $6.3 million of academic grants so far. Can you talk a bit about how that's been played out and, and where that goes from here? Sure. We're thrilled that in our only five years of existence, we've been able to um, provide that much funding to the academic community. There have been 37 academic studies contracted out through the as a result of the U.S. Coastal Research Program's activities, and of course those come out through the different federal agencies' partners. And each of those 37 projects has involved at least one graduate student, and it has also involved a stakeholder. So it's addressing, you know, it, it might be academic research, might be a fundamental science question, but it's informed by users and it's, it's helping some agency program achieve its mission in, in a better way. Putting you on the spot here a little bit, I promised I wouldn't give you gotcha questions, but are there any off the top of your head you could give an example of something that has been funded through one of these grant programs? Um, sure. So actually a neat example is an ASBPA student, Bianca Charbonneau, was funded through the Dunes um, Management Challenges on Developed Coast, which are, was our first one of our first topical workshops, which involved um, an, an academic challenge. 
and Bianca um, addressed, her research was, was addressing the question that Julie was just getting at, which is um, how can vegetation help slow erosion? Um, and, and she brings in the multidisciplinary concept because she's an ecologist working with a bunch of physical oceanographers and geologists. And then um, she brought in the educating the next generation by building an actual physical model. So the only thing we fund, we fund a lot of numerical modeling studies, but Bianca's was the only physical model that we funded of a wind tunnel that she built in New Jersey on a high school campus. So not only is it served, did it serve her research purposes, but it will be used in the future to entrain these STEM students and, and um, get them excited about coastal. Nice. A wind tunnel on a high school campus, I'm sure there would be nothing shady <laughs> done with that at all. That's great. So, so uh, you know, interdisciplinary kind of study and you mentioned it came from your dune management workshop which i think we probably should have talked a bit about the workshops even before this because my sense is most if not all of the funded grants have come from these workshops that are bringing together managers practitioners with researchers nicole or someone want to talk a bit about the workshop structure the, the, the workshops i think are a really unique approach to directing and guiding research that, that USCRP has, has put together this neat formula. But on a specific topic, such as sand dunes, we bring together users, federal agencies, and also academic researchers. The meeting is completely driven by what the user's needs are. We start with presentations where they talk about questions that they have related to developing on beaches or there was a storm workshop so that was really interesting to hear emergency managers talk about the challenges of understanding surge models and the, how quickly they arrive with the uncertainty associated with them also during that meeting we use those needs that the users have to figure out what the next research challenges are so with the academic and federal researchers in the room who have been studying that topic, they're able to work together to decide what the next big challenges are. And so for each of these workshops, uh, the outcome is a scientific paper, a journal paper that explains for the, the state of knowledge, what the next challenges are, and how they're going to help users. And then a big part of it is the academic funding that comes out of that, that workshop. Yeah, and then so with the, those topics that are challenges to the academic community, they will propose ideas, uh, ways to address those challenges. They're reviewed, peer-reviewed by a US, US CRP team and ranked with some metrics that we have in a rubric. And from that, we use um, the results to uh, fund the top candidates that address the challenges. You know, in the FY20 federal budget, there was a congressional ad that was, I think, $5 million that went through the core, but was specifically intended to fund some of these research projects. FY19. FY19, sorry. Yes. FY19. And you were giving, some one of you was giving numbers earlier today of how many people submitted letters of intent and how many actually got it. It was really impressive how many people had, were, had applied for this, right? Yeah, there were 250 um, statements of interest uh -huh. towards those. There were 12 topics um, identified. Those were the challenges that we just talked about. Uh, 250 submitted against those 12 challenges, and we are in the process of funding 22 of those, so a little less than 10% of the ones that were submitted. 
Yeah, just shows the incredible interest, and certainly we hope that in, in next year's budget, Congress sees fit to continue to provide that. So we've talked, we're sort of, I feel like we're bouncing around through so many different things, but it, it all, to me it all sort of fits under this broad arc that you laid out at the very beginning, Julia, the community of practice, supporting the next generation, and providing collaboration across across the agencies. One question I did want to ask that came up a little bit earlier today is, is there's a lot of federal collaboratives and there's even a, a number of federal collaboratives in sort of the coastal ocean sphere. We heard um, whether it's the National Ocean Partnership Program, you know, something that's a bit more specific, Digital Coast is really about sort of mapping. But what do you guys see that makes the USCRP unique or particularly efficient or effective? Why is this collaborative? What makes this collaboration stand out? Yeah, we, we were just talking about that a little bit. Um, to me, I, I see three areas. One is we are funding science that really is making a, a practical difference. And then secondly, we're really seeking to fund students to build the nation's expertise in coastal science and engineering topics. And thirdly, we seek to then translate that to the users so that we really get it into practice and implemented so that it makes a difference in how we manage these complex coastal problems that are facing the nation, really. So a big difference between U.S. Coastal Research Program and, say, the Army Corps' CERB or Navy's NOP is that those are um, congressionally mandated, a lot of times they're federal advisory committees, so they operate under a certain set of rules. And because we're a grassroots organization, we're allowed to do some things that maybe a federal agency, FACA, couldn't do, right? We can engage stakeholders and academics, we can get their input, and that is really the the difference, I think, um, is that the engagement of the broad sector of the, of the coastal community. I'd like to add to that that we're able to help people work across agency boundaries because we're noticing that the cultures of the different agencies is very different or the way that they prioritize the, the business model of research and connecting to users. And so being able to work together to understand those differences and help academics and users also understand that. I think it's helping us to build a richer partnership and, and really one that is can start achieving successes and making a difference. So the caveat that you guys have been around for, the Coastal Research Project's been around for five years, so it hasn't been around that long. Have you begun to see any sort of on the ground impacts that have, have changed because of some of the research or some of the collaboration? Because I feel like a lot of what you guys are doing is building the knowledge base, building the science base, building that community of practice with the sort of longer term vision of better coastal management, better policy. Has there been anything in five years or, or does it just take a bit longer than that um, to really see some of those on the ground improvements in, in decision making? I think it takes time, mm -hmm. but we are starting to see uh, small conversations or partnerships forming that happen because of the USCRP. And I know we keep coming back to this experiment, but mm -hmm. it really is a, a proving ground for testing out these different relationships that people have. I've also been at meetings and overheard um, scientific meetings and overheard people talking about the USCRP directions that they're headed, asking um, their colleagues if they have 
been in touch with anyone at USC or CRP or tuned in to any of their meetings or, or the website. Uh, also, the federal agencies are starting to pay more attention and take notice of this group that is already organized uh, while they're seeing other groups just starting to form. And we, have, we funded a project, I think it was also at the Dunes Workshop in Duck, North Carolina, so it was the municipality of Duck, which consequently, or coincidentally, I guess, is also where the Army Corps Field Research Facility is located. Um, so the, the, the town of Duck was interested in building, or I'm sorry, it was the town of Kitty Hawk in this one, was interested in building a starter dune um, on their beach nourishment project because they didn't have the sand volume to build a, a full template with a, a the adequately sized, let's call it, sand dune, and that has been built. I mean, that you know, that's how they built their nourishment project, and so the research that was done and funded by USCRP has it is being implemented in real time. The other example there, right next door, would be the municipality of Duck, which has again been hosting the field research facility for many decades, but we're now seeing. Um, you know, Duck making a big investment in their beach. They're, um, they have hired a firm, and that firm is out there collecting data, and, and they're collaborating with the uh, folks at the FRF. And, you know, the U.S. Coastal Research Program takes a bit of credit for that in the fact that we have put these workshops together in the Outer Banks, and, you know, that's the mission, is to get the, the communities collaborating with the researchers. So we're seeing quite a bit of that happening in the Outer Banks, I would say. I think it's also worth noting that science takes time. I mean, this isn't a, you know, you do one, put out, collect a bit of data, and all of a sudden you know how to build a dune cutter. It's repetitive experimentation. So, um, but it's, it, it's exciting to me. I think you guys have a, improving the collaboration, fostering science is really great. So you mentioned some of the workshops you've held, the dunes workshop, coastal storm processes workshop. Is there another one on the horizon? How do you guys decide what topic to really dig into? Each year. Uh oh, dead silence. I must be <laughs> well, Breaking news on the Capitol okay, Beach. So, um, well, when this group started about five years ago and the near shore coastal community got together, we decided there were three major themes research directions, and those were extreme events, and you've heard us talk about mm -hmm. storms a lot today. But two of the others were long term processes and coastal response, so for example, um, sea level rise, future climates and storms, and then also ecosystem and human health within coastal environments. So those are the two areas that we want to focus on really in FY20 and going into 2021. Again, we're going to be sure that the research directions are informed by stakeholder needs. But this time we're going to start working more closely with existing federal research that is targeting um, those two specific topics. Those two being ecosystem and human health? Ecosystem and human health, and then long-term processes right. and coastal response. The federal agencies are already working with users. It's because of you know, public service, they're being funded to help coastal communities. So we're going to our goal is to align research, um, fundamental research, with the work that is happening in the federal agencies. Okay. 
So does that mean there's going to be a specific workshop on that, or is that still to be determined to figure out how you want to sort of drive that, those two those two issues? Forward? Our goal this year in um, FY20 is to have virtual workshops to start with. This is so that we can um, maybe do that this winter. And the virtual workshops will provide an opportunity for federal researchers uh, to explain the work that they're doing and show areas where maybe they need a little bit of research assistance. Um, this will be an opportunity for academics to tune in and learn more about what the, the federal programs and projects are and see how they can help by uh, advancing the fundamental research. And so we'll, we hope to do some matchmaking in that situation kind of environment. We'll follow up in the spring with these in-person workshops that we talked about earlier where the users are invited and really driving the conversation. And one thing I'd add there, you know, the human and ecosystem health topic area is very broad, right? And mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the most interdisciplinary things you've heard us say today, I'm sure. But the reason I think U.S. Coastal Research Program has been so successful is that we have a real foundation in sort of the physical coastal processes. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, we're a bunch of geologists and uh, nearshore oceanographers and coastal engineers. So that's our foundations. When we say we're, we're going to look into something like human and ecosystem health, we're not going to solve harmful algal blooms in the middle of the ocean or look into blue water oceanography or, or solve some of these kind of upper estuarine water quality problems because that's not in our wheelhouse. But where that connects with the physical coastal processes with sediment resources, right? That's where we feel that we can come in and make that connection. So it helps to narrow our focus. And again, I think that's led to some successes because the coastal societal impacts along the coast is such a huge topic area that being able to focus like that has really helped us, help guide us. Yeah, helpful. I mean, certainly when you talk about human ecosystem health, the agency I immediately think of is EPA, and they haven't been particularly involved because it's been more the geo and physical processes along the coast. So, uh, well, this is all great. I, you know, I, I guess my sort of final content question is, is where do you see CRP going in the next year and beyond? To tack onto that, how can folks get more involved, learn more, be part of this, apply for future grant opportunities? So what's next and how do people get more involved? I guess the, the best way to find out what's going on is to check our website out. Um, it's U.S. Coastal uh, Research. So, yes, so let's say that again, U.S. Coastal Research. Yeah. So on that website, we post um, information about uh, what we're doing, um, presentations we've made, uh, publications, uh, webinar slides and recordings. Um, this podcast will probably be linked to that website as well. So um, if anyone wants to find out what's coming up or what's been done, they can check out um, the website. So more broadly about sort of the the big picture, 10,000 foot level future of the Coastal Research Program. Sounds like we've got a couple next steps, what we're doing this year. Where would you like to see the program be in five, ten years from now? 2020 and 21 are going to be the year of the stakeholder for mm -hmm. the U.S. Coastal Research Program. Uh, mark my word. So we are, ASBPA is, as many of our members know, in the process of uh, identifying the nation's top five coastal management challenges. And we're going to work closely with U.S. Coastal Research Program on a Stakeholder Needs Assessment. 
So bringing, building our stakeholder team is going to be really important over the next several years. So hopefully when we do this podcast five years from now, not only will we be talking about all the federal agency partners and the 30, 37 academics that he's funded, but we'll be talking about all of the other um, national level NGOs probably that we're working with and highlighting some specific success stories from coastal communities around the nation. And then also, you know, in five years, I hope that we can have maybe as some staff positions because as you've heard today we are all have real jobs on the side so this is a, an effort that really gets done because the there's a coastal person at an agency that really cares and really believes in this program and, that, and that's why this grassroots effort has been successful so far so we'll be looking to formalize this in some ways over the next several years that aren't too burdensome but help to um, further the program's goals and, and continue these successes. Great. I think that's a nice way to, to wrap up. My final question is to sort of help our listeners connect with you personally, and I'm going to give it a slight twist this time. I think each of you have roots or have spent time or lived currently in Florida. So I'm going to ask you for two favorite beaches. What is your favorite beach in Florida, and what is your favorite beach not in Florida? So. Okay, I'll start out. Uh, this is Julie Rosani. My favorite beach in Florida is um, Crescent Beach, uh, south of St. Augustine Beach. And my favorite beach in the nation is not a beach, it's Ocean City Inlet and adjacent Barrier Islands because I love that area that has such a wealth of um, data and long-term record. <laughs> of course, your scientists like <laughs> the beach for its data. Okay. All right. Hillary. So, I live in St. Petersburg, Florida, and my favorite beach in Florida is Sunset Beach, which is a small part of St. Pete Beach, and I love it because it has these big pine trees that you can sit under and sit on a beautiful Florida beach with this crystal clear water, but in the shade of pine tree. Um, and then my favorite beach overall, from growing up are the, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, so really the area around Cape Hatteras. Grew up there as a child and was spending summers there and did field work there, experiments, and my job continues to bring me to that beach and I love it. Okay, and this is Nicole. Uh, my favorite beach in Florida, I, I say favorite with a bit of a tone there because uh, it's Upham Beach, which is just across Blind Pass from Hillary's favorite beach in, in uh, Sunset Beach. So Blind Pass, or sorry, Upham Beach is a very small piece of St. Pete Beach, and I have a long history there of, of research and also some personal connections. Um, and then my favorite beach otherwise is Folly Beach, South Carolina, my home. Perfect. Well, thank you guys. Uh, this has been a, a real joy to get to learn about the Coastal Research Program for throughout the past couple of years, but certainly today with the meeting and, and with this podcast. So thank you very much and keep up the great work. Thank you.